Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you are involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to discuss a very interesting book that's looked at the Western society over many decades, many eons perhaps. I'm not sure. We'll find out in just a moment. And my guest is an expert on this book. Mr. Jared Yates Sexton is an author whose recent book is The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. His political writing has appeared in publications including the New York Times, The New Republic, Politico, and Salon.com. Mr. Sexton is also the host of the Muckrake Podcast. Jared Yates Sexton, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thanks for having me, Bill. I appreciate you being with me. Jared, let's just jump right into it. Why did you write this book, The Midnight Kingdom? What was your main purpose? Well, you know, when I started the book, Bill, I, I wanted to go back. You know, we, we've been hearing a lot of people now who are talking about saving Western civilization. Western civilization is in danger. And I wanted to go back and actually start to wrestle with the history of what that means and how, how that has operated over, you know, the centuries. And what I discovered very quickly, and actually the book changed almost immediately because what I discovered, even going back to ancient Rome, was that a lot of the conspiracy theories and a lot of the ideas that we're dealing with now have gone in this cyclical nature over the centuries, and they've been used for the same purposes to divide people, to keep people from having uh, informed conversations about how we've arrived at this moment, and particularly how to decide how to move forward. So the book was my way of wrestling with why are we so divided? Why do we seemingly live in these alternate realities? And what can we do about it? And what did you come to the conclusion? What are some of the conclusions that you came to as to why we live in these different realities? Well, one of the reasons is because we're all living within these uh, different ideologies, right? We we all have sort of our own ways of going through the world. And as a result, we tell ourselves stories about why we do that. Uh, oftentimes that has a religious component. Oftentimes it has a cultural component or a social component, uh, you know, or a political component. The problem is when um, the, the, the powerful use these sort of identities and these ideologies against us. And one of the things that we found is that these conspiracy theories are often the stories of how to blame marginal communities, whether that is Jewish people or African-Americans or lately it's been gay and trans people, how we blame those people for uh, you know, the actions of the powerful and how we sort of move that blame around and sort of divert populist anger away from those people who you know probably deserve it. Now, you're talking about the Western society, Western culture, Western civilization. Uh, you're focusing on the United States, but you're really including a large swath of the world. Is that correct? That's right. Um, in, in, in learning the history of Western civilization, 
I wanted to take a look at exactly how the modern world was formed. And what I noticed very quickly was that these stories that we're talking about, these were some of the like most powerful weapons ever devised. Um, you know, these religious mythologies, white supremacist lies, these things were used in, in you know, taking over other civilizations and colonization and enslaving people. And, and these stories kept going in these cycles um, over and over and over again, which made it very clear that Western civilization as we know it has been a, a pretty brutal and oppressive regime that has, again, been based on these conspiracy theories that we're, we're told anymore that, that these are new, novel, unprecedented things. Are there some examples or one or two examples of, say, 50, 100 years, or well, 50, we could look at the United States and see that we don't have to go back that far. But even going back to the 18th or 19th centuries, is it that every society has found some minority, some weaker group, per se, that they focused upon to blame them for vast majority of the problems in that society? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's always within these cycles, there are these uh, minorities and vulnerable communities. Uh, oftentimes, it's been uh, the Jewish population for a variety of reasons. Uh, they've been blamed for everything from economic downturn to the bubonic plague. Uh, but what what you find is, um, such as the United States of America, um, you know, you find these ideas that African-Americans are pawns of a communist scheme. We now, you know, see uh, traces of that again when it comes to uh, gay and trans Americans, including this slur that's been thrown around now of grooming and indoctrination. So th this is a permanent feature of how the powerful relate to uh, the masses. And whenever you start to see these things, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, whenever you start to see these things really pick up speed and become very obvious in the culture, you realize quickly that we're nearing a point of crisis, which I happen to believe that we are. It, I, th I think you're absolutely right. And if you throw in some of the really existential problems, I guess they're all existential, but the, the main one, in my opinion, is climate change. And you throw that into the mix. And of course, we just had a pandemic that there was so much misinformation out there flying around. It was just, I would just make your head spin trying to keep up with all of it. And, you know, the anti-vaxxers, the, the uh, folks who are deniers, <laughs> they deny climate change, they deny everything that's happening in the scientific arena. It's, it's just almost impossible to keep up with it. How how can we do that? What remedy do you have or what recommendation do you have for us to try to get as much information out to the public and to do it in a logical, rational, scientific, educational way so that we don't have this rampant paranoia or these groups like you mentioned, white supremacists or whomever playing off on other groups? Well, one of the problems in all of this is whenever you look at these conspiracy theories, particularly when they're being reported about, they're just sort of taken at face value that people just believe these strange things. We never talk about why people believe these things and more more importantly, why these things are being weaponized. So, for instance, I'd already brought up the idea of uh, critical race theory. You know, we've been hearing about that more over the past few years or grooming or indoctrination. 
you know, people believe this stuff in large part because they feel like something strange is happening. They they aren't able to necessarily understand it. But what we don't pay attention to is that these conspiracy theories are spreading and being weaponized by a group of very, very wealthy Americans who are interested in undermining public education. This has been the uh, focus of a large group of billionaires in this country who recognize that there are trillions, with a T, trillions of dollars to be made off of privatizing public education. So one of the things that happens is that this idea of CRT or groomers or any number of conspiracy theories are used to go ahead and make people in uh, local areas upset, take over their local school boards, take over their local governments, and make it easier to go ahead and start privatizing public education. So one of the things we have to do is stop focusing on the conspiracy theories, but focus more on why these conspiracy theories are being spread and who it is that's spreading them. Now, there are groups out there that it sounds like you're describing mostly far right groups or uh, I guess ultra libertarian types, maybe like the Koch brothers or I'm not accusing them. I'm just saying that they come to mind when you're talking about this, but you're right. There are so many folks over the, we've seen it over the last 30, 40, 50 years that have tried to undermine, undermine the public education system in this country and to tap into the educational largesse and to enrich themselves, I guess is, is what I'm saying. Who are some of the groups that you, spot at, uh, as far as being involved in this type of activity? Well, because of the proliferation of dark money, oftentimes it's really hard to follow the traces of this. You know, you'd already brought up the Cokes, uh, the DeVosses are parts of this, Bradleys. Um, you know, basically anyone who is pouring their money within these Republican campaigns, we, we can notice very quickly who they are. But the larger issue here is that there is a vast network of uh, Republican right-wing think tanks and institutes that are given billions of dollars every year in order to go ahead and weaponize these types of things. And you'll notice that, um, you know, the the apparatus of, of the right-wing sort of uh, intelligentsia starts to spread these ideas pretty quickly. Um, you know, I, I just want to remind everybody, CRT popped up completely out of nowhere. You know, one day nobody had any idea what CRT or critical race theory was. The next thing you know, it was the number one issue on all of the cable programs and all of these political campaigns. This doesn't happen organically. It doesn't happen at a grassroots level. What happens is that these ideas and strategies are being honed at the institute and think tank level. And then the next thing you know, they're happening within the legislatures, which makes it more and more uh, possible to go ahead and pass these laws, such as what we're seeing happening in Florida right now. You mentioned critical race theory. This is one you mentioned. We have heard a lot about it lately. Uh, this show goes worldwide. Some of our viewers may not be quite as familiar with it. How do you define critical race theory? And has it actually been a problem? As I understand it, for example, in Florida, I don't even think it's being taught in any of the elementary or secondary schools. I may be wrong on that, but it's it's more of a process, is it not, as far as to, to develop your thinking and that type of thing? Yeah, critical race theory is a lens that mostly finds homes in graduate schools and law schools. 
You know, this isn't something that kindergartners are branding around, but like the term woke, which in America has just sort of become a catch all. Um, again, it has been uh, tested, you know, through a lot of focus groups, through a lot of surveys, things like that. It has more or less become a boogeyman. And it's the exact same way that, um, you know, things like communism used to be able to be used, particularly during uh, the Red Scare. And to go ahead and reillustrate my point, you know, whenever we learn about this in our history books or in our movies, when we talk about the Red Scare, people think, oh, people were just organically becoming afraid of communism, right? They just woke up one day and they were terrified that communists were in their community. That's not true at all. This was one of the first waves in which the New Deal consensus, which was the idea that America should be investing in social safety nets and social programs, that was how that was being dismantled because these things make for incredible wealth. And they can become these catch-alls and, and these boogeymen, these straw men that are able to be used in order to uh, curry public favor. So CRT is not at all in our public schools, but it has become a word that has become very, very effective in terms of getting people upset and rallying them to causes. It certainly has. And as, as we think about this, when I think back years ago, it the, the term communist was used quite a bit. Any, In fact, anybody who didn't agree with what the other person said could say it was a communist. Then it faded away, it seemed like, for a while. But now it's coming back. And you see so many parties and so many members of Congress, for example, right now, who call the opposition socialist or communist simply because the opposition is supporting Social Security programs. They're supporting Medicare, Medicaid, programs that are helping the disadvantaged, the less fortunate, uh, economically deprived, if you want to put it that way. And it's really, uh, we're, we're boxing ourselves into even more of a, of a blind canyon as far as being able to understand one another. Are we not? Oh, you couldn't be more right. And I want to point out, you know, the, the, this um, idea that uh, ideas <clears throat> that you disagree with are communist, like, you know, another era that's misunderstood is civil rights. You know, as Dr. Martin Luther King and, and other civil rights activists were marching in the street and, you know, demand <laughs> equality. The conspiracy theory was that they were agents of a of a communist conspiracy. And this is what allowed law enforcement and individuals to fight civil rights people in the street, to brutalize them, to use awful tactics against them. Well, we're seeing it again. We saw it during the Black Lives Matter protest in which the entire idea was that Black Lives Matter, which was a movement that was trying to stamp out police brutality against African-Americans, that it again was a communist Marxist conspiracy. So what it does is it keeps us from having conversations about what we're actually trying to achieve or maybe what we should achieve. And it keeps us believing that we're fighting against uh, capital E evil. And when you're fighting against capital E evil, you can believe that it's an apocalyptic situation in which anything, including violence or the dismantling of democracy, is necessary in order to protect yourself and your family, which is a shortcut that has been used now for uh again centuries well we'll get back to some apocalyptic activities in just a moment but you're watching global connections television which is a privately funded independently produced program the opinions expressed on global connections television are solely those of the moderator and his guests we'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs also if you're involved with the pbs or community access television station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, 
or you just you have a podcast or you just have a computer. You like our shows, you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're talking with an expert who has viewed the Western culture and has focused on many of the problems we've confronted in the past and we're confronting in the future. Mr. Jared Yates Sexton is an author whose recent book is The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis. Mr. Sexton is also the host of the Muckrake Podcast. And Jason, we're talking about a variety of things here, but it seems like the epicenter, a large part of the misinformation, disinformation, and physical violence come right down to it. And we always have to gravitate back to January 6, 2021. There's no way we can avoid it. So let's do that. What role did this illegal attempt to overthrow a fair, free, democratic election and possibly the government in the process that was, as all evidence shows right now, was invited and incited by Donald Trump? What happened that day and how is that fed into all this paranoia and hysteria? And it, in a moment, we'll get into some of the media outlets. But what what was the uh, the real extent of that event? Well, a lot lot took place on January 6th. You know, we we're always looking for silver bullet explanations that can make them very, very simple. And one of the explanations is that it began and ended with Donald Trump, which is a really, really convenient fairy tale that has been pointed out now. The idea is that everything was fine until Donald Trump came down that escalator and then everything was fine after he got defeated. Uh, unfortunately, that isn't true. Donald Trump is a, a largely, you know, a figurehead who uh, was, you know, kind of used for other purposes. But what happened on January 6th, first of all, I want to point out, like beyond what the January 6th commission said, um, and there were investigations into this, but they never aired this, like this was funded by these same donors that we've been talking about, including the same donors who funded the Ottawa truckers protest, which threatened to overthrow the government of Canada after January 6th. But when you take a look at what happened on that day, the only reason that the Capitol was infiltrated and that there was this attempted insurrection is because there were three groups of people there. There were Oath Keepers, three percenters, you know, the people who have now been uh, tried for insurrection and sedition. And these were people who were looking to overthrow the government. You also include with that a group of people who believe in, of course, the conspiracy theory QAnon, who believe that it is necessary to overthrow the government and to hold, uh, you know, these satanic politicians accountable, including Mike Pence. And then you have another group of people who supported Donald Trump. Now, these groups of people are really, really representative of the problem that we have in this country right now, which is we have a lot of people who are looking to overthrow the government, who are looking to intentionally dismantle democracy, and you have a lot of people who are giving it a consideration. And when you take a look at a lot of surveys that have gone out to the Republican Party and supporters of Donald Trump, what you find is the numbers grow every single day, depending upon you know who you're asking, if they think that violence and the overthrow of the government is necessary in order to put things to right. Now, if you look throughout history, these things happen constantly. And whenever the, the temperature starts running hot like this, it gets worse and worse and worse until you start addressing the problems that created the thing in the first place. And when you say it's just Donald Trump, Again, that's a very convenient story. That means you don't have to change anything. You simply have to beat him in an election or possibly hold him accountable and put him in jail. 
But when you take a look at this throughout history, there are material conditions that have to be addressed in order to go ahead and make the changes that are necessary to avoid major, major problems. And this was a canary in the coal mine type situation. And you're right. It certainly goes far beyond Donald Trump. There are many more forces at play in this whole imbroglio, if you want to put it that way. One other group that comes to mind is the, or the media, really, and the role that they play. And of course, I'm thinking of really the right wing conspiracy oriented media primarily. You know, you've got you've got the Antifa wing on the left side, but we'll focus on this right side just for the moment. But what role does a group like or an outlet like Fox, which a lot of journalists are now questioning whether there are any legitimate journalists left at Fox, and most people won't even call it Fox News because of very little news that comes out of Fox. What about an outfit like that with Tucker Carlson, who's constantly spinning out misinformation after misinformation, outright lies at times at, uh, in his evening programs? You've got One American News, you've got Newsmax, different ones like that. What is the role for them and how are they fueling this, this uh, misunderstanding that's out there and all the misinformation too. Yeah. And first Bill, I want to go ahead and say, just to go ahead and make it very clear that this isn't even just a partisan attack. One right. of the reasons I really appreciate right. conversations like this is here we are, we have the time and the opportunity to get into things in depth and have, you know, quality conversations. I really appreciate that. You cannot find that mostly in our mainstream media. And for the large part, like you actually find throughout the networks, these are corporate lenses that go ahead and want to go ahead and launder what's happening in the country. It just so happens that Fox News is a very particular type of laundering. And that laundering has been created. And this is, you know, all of this was on the record. Roger Ailes, who helped create it in the first place, has been on the record saying this, that it was created in order to uh, make a Republican-focused uh, apparatus to go ahead and create an alternate reality that its viewers could live in that made it easier for, for the Republican Party to win elections. Over the past couple of years, Fox News has had to make a, a really hard choice, which is how do they go ahead and peddle conspiracy theories that they know are fundamentally untrue? You know, they did this before in 2010, of course, with uh, the birtherism conspiracy theory, which helped give birth to Donald Trump's presidency. But they they have put profits over any sort of a responsibility. The problem is that we live in a situation now where a lot of not just media networks, but a lot of politicians and a lot of journalists have now been given financial incentive to go ahead and create misinformation and uh, panic in order to go ahead and gain profits. And when you look at OAN or Newsmax, Fox News understood that if they didn't provide a very particular type of misinformation, Donald Trump conspiracy theories, they were going to lose a lot of their viewers. And so they made a choice that they were going to prioritize profits over democracy or the well-being of Americans. They certainly did, yes. Well, in the last few minutes that we have, what recommendations would you make that we could take to heart here as far as learning more about these issues and to try to get accurate information? I know, obviously, the one thing they can do, uh, viewers can do is to watch your muckrake podcast and they can watch global connections television but what other outlets are out there that provide more objective overviews of these problems and how we can deal with them and not push us into our silos well one of the things that i'm i'm always talking about and this is why one of the reasons why i wrote the midnight kingdom and also my book uh, american rule is that 
actually, if you pay attention to the experts, and I'm talking about academics, I'm talking about historians, I'm talking about political scientists, I'm talking about all of these cultural experts. If you pay attention to it, the, 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 the image emerges pretty quickly what's going on. But you have to move beyond these typical red and blue Republican Democratic talking points because those things are alternate realities. They are for, uh, you know, political fortunes and also, you know, uh, fortunes themselves. You have to start actually sort of digging underneath the surface and figuring out that there is a much deeper and more important story behind all of this, as opposed to the talking points that we're basically given every day in this uh, you know, current political paradigm. And then again, that's one of the reasons why I appreciate opportunities to talk like this is because when you actually start peeling back the layers, you have to understand that we are reaching a point in which things are either going to get better or they're going to get a whole lot worse. And simply expecting things to be fine because Donald Trump lost a 2020 election, that leaves us pretty vulnerable for things to get a lot worse very, very quickly. They certainly could, and we cannot afford that. This country and other countries, too, it's not just us. We're, we're in this basket together. But uh, just curious, <clears throat> before we do run out of time, where did the title Midnight Kingdom come from? Well, so it's from this uh, character in Russia, <laughs> Alexander Dugan. And Dugan was one of those ideologues who counsels Vladimir Putin and actually uh, sort of called for the invasion of Ukraine going back to 1994. And Dugan and other people like Steve Bannon, they consider uh, th this idea that we are reaching midnight, that uh, the current American world order, neoliberalism, if people want to look up the term, that it has come to its end and that the time is right to change things, which brings us, of course, to an apocalyptic situation where authoritarianism can grow and democracy can be destroyed. Well, Jared Yates Sexton, it's a remarkable book. It's very insightful, very informative, and would encourage people to take a look at it. But I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you, Bill. I'm so glad to, to have been here and have this conversation. My pleasure. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.